Double your defences by getting your COVID-19 and flu vaccines this winter. They're free for over 50s, those at clinical risk, pregnant women, carers, people with learning disabilities, as well as health and social care workers. Don't delay. Get both vaccines now. It's safe to have them both at the same time. Double your defences. Get vaccinated. Get protected. Go to nhs.uk to find out more. This is Our People Podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hi and welcome to Our People Podcast. I'm your host Harry Newhouse and I'm at Communications Support here at the Trust. On today's episode we're at Durham Rose Children's Centre and with me today is Tracy Dawson, Kerry Pate and Janice Blakey who are part of our safeguarding team. Welcome to the podcast Tracy, Kerry and Janice. Hi. Hi. To start the podcast could you explain what safeguarding is and why we need a safeguarding team within the Trust? Hi Harry, certainly. In summary, safeguarding is about protecting a person's health, well-being and human rights. It's enabling them to live free from harm, abuse and neglect. It's really integral to providing our high quality health care and safeguarding children, young people and adults is everybody's responsibility. And why we need a team is really in essence to ensure that STSFT's legal and statutory obligations are met and those who use our services are adequately safeguarded. As a trust, we need to have trained, competent and confident healthcare workforce who know how to approach safeguarding issues, who understand their duties, know how to make a safeguarding referral and also they know how to break patterns of abuse and neglect and the safeguarding team are the driving force behind this. Brilliant, thanks Tracy. You all have different roles within the team. Uh, Would you like to explain what your role is, uh, your area of focus and what your day-to-day tasks consist of? So we'll start with uh, you Tracy. Yes, certainly. I'm the name nurse for Safeguarding Adults. It's a statutory post and Safeguarding Adults covers ages 18 plus. And very similar to Kerry and um, Janice, my job's to operationally manage and provide transformational leadership to the Safeguarding Adult team, consisting of nurses at band six and seven. My role is also to provide expert knowledge and safeguarding advice, support and training to support the trust strategic intent and also its vision and values to deliver high quality, safe patient care. To do this, I ensure that the adult safeguarding policies are fit for purpose and also in line with current legislation. I'm also responsible for monitoring compliance against policy through the use of audit and also for ensuring that our training is offered to staff in accordance with their role as per the intercollegiate document. I also work alongside our multi-agency partners as part of Gates at Sunderland and South Tyneside Safeguarding Adults Boards and I represent the organisation at um, the Safeguarding Adult Board subgroups to ensure that all agencies adopt a coordinated approach to safeguarding agenda. My role also is to represent the trusted domestic homicide review panels, referred to as DHR, and also its safeguarding adult reviews, referred to as SARS. So this involves preparing scope and documentation, analysing missed opportunities, formulating recommendations and contributing to the DHR and SAR reports. And just I know there's a lot of acronyms there, so just do a little bit of information as to what a DHR is. So a DHR panel is held when someone aged 16 or over dies as a result of violence, abuse or neglect by a relative, a household member or someone that they've been in an intimate relationship with. We also have to hold a panel if someone dies by suicide and domestic abuse is suspected to have been a contributory factor to that suicide. 
Alternatively, a Safeguard and Adult Review is held if an adult in a Safeguard and Adult Board area with care and support needs dies as a result of abuse or neglect, whether known or suspected, and there's concerns that partner agencies could have worked more effectively to protect the adult. We can also hold a review if we feel that someone with them care and support needs has not died, but the SAB knows or suspects that they have experienced serious abuse or neglect. And the purpose of both the DHR and SAR is to see if there are any missed opportunities or any learning from the death or abuse so that we can improve service responses for victims through a coordinated multi-agency approach. And any learning or recommendations for the trust are shared through a variety of means. For example, we've got a Safeguard newsletter, which we'll talk about later, Champions Forums, Hot Topics, Team Brief and Governance Forums. I'm also the organisation's Prevent Lead, so I work closely with Counterterrorism Police Northeast to ensure that those in our care who are vulnerable and susceptible are safeguarded and are prevented from being drawn into or supporting terrorist activity. And finally, I'm also responsible for the multi-agency public protection arrangements and the MAPA lead for the organisation. And that's to ensure that STSFT fulfils its statutory responsibilities by attending MAPA panels alongside the Safeguard and Adult team so that we can assess and manage risks posed by relevant sexual and violent offenders. And my role is also to ensure that STSFT's electronic systems are flagged to protect our staff from those who are assessed as posing a risk of sexual or violent behaviour. Yes, it's certainly very busy. Very busy, very diverse role, yes. Never two days the same. And Kerry, how does your role differ? Yeah, so I'm the name nurse for safeguarding children within the Trust. Um, it's a statutory post. It's very similar to the safeguarding adult nurse role, which Tracy's described there. Um, but my role covers um, from newborn up to the age of 18 years of age. My job is to manage the safeguarding children's team, um, but we do work very closely with the adult team as well, having a think family ethos. My team consists of band sixes and band seven nurses, and we report directly to the assistant director for safeguard, which is Tracy Dean. Similar to Tracy, my job is to ensure the quality of safe, the safeguarding service as a whole, ensuring the policies and procedures are all up to date and in line with guidance. And similar to Tracy, I also ensure that the training compliance across the trust is above 80 um, and we report that to the board as well as the um, ICB. Tracy mentioned SARS and DHRs. The difference in the world of children um, is um, my role. I would review cases when a, a child dies and there is concerns about that death or if a child comes to significant harm. Um, and those cases are reported to the National Safeguarding Children's Panel. So if a child um, was known to STSFT, I would review our management, um, acute and community, across the whole of the trust, um, see if there's any immediate learning. We then feed that um, to the Safeguarding Children's Partnership and as a multidisciplinary team and partnership, um, we pull all of that learning together. Um, and like Tracy said, um, we'll share that learning across the trust far and wide and, and change what we need to do if there's any changes to be made. Likewise, um, I think it's also really important to celebrate the good work that we do and look for any efforts to, to show appreciative inquiry and, and tell staff when they've managed safeguarding really well. 
I'm also the lead for um, exploitation in the organisation and I ensure I've got robust processes in place um, for key personnel and they're cited on key strategic changes and priorities. So we've got an exploitation group um, within the trust um, and we meet four times a year and that's covering children and adults and all forms of exploitation, whether that's criminal or sexual Similar to Tracy, I also work closely with the Safeguard and Partnerships and represent the Trust and Partnerships subgroups. I work closely with um, the local authorities, our neighbours, um, Sunderland and South Tyneside mostly. And we also work within the multi-agency Safeguard and Hub in South Tyneside, um, making sure that the decisions that we make um, are, are shared with the local authority and health have, have got a, a big part to play in that. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Kerry, for that. And Janice. Hi. So my role is the named midwife for safeguarding for SDSFT. It's a statutory post that any trust that has a maternity unit has to have. And my role is to provide specialist knowledge and expertise in kind of all the safeguarding issues, which is relating to pregnancy, the early postnatal period um, for maternity, but also for the wider trust as well. My role kind of sits across um, adults and children but the difference with my role is I've also I also safeguard somebody that's not here so the unborn and so I think that's where kind of the speciality comes into it so like I said I cover the unborn the mother and the the whole family unit so it actually includes the father and any other children as well that's sort of I would think family ethos the named midwife for safeguarding roles to establish and maintain robust systems and processes. That's just to make sure that the services meet our local and national requirements in regarding the safeguarding, child protection training, etc. I also kind of link in with the girls in regards to the meetings and um, you know and I think because maternity is so specialist, it, like I'd say, it does cross over all of our team. Um, I'm the lead in the organisation as well for female genital mutilation. So. Really nice, isn't it? <laughs> I collate the data for the number of disclosures for the trust and I provide a report that goes to the Department of Health. Um, and that, at the minute, has significantly increased with the amount of international educated staff that we've got, but also the students in the, um, and, um, the university local here. I also monitor any themes and trends within the safeguard and across maternity. And then I provide an analysis of risk that that poses. And then obviously link in with the, the, the girls in regards to if we need to add something into the training. For instance, recently we've had a number of babies that were, um, we had a couple of cot deaths. And so we've increased our uh, training and added in icon and safe sleep, which is really, really important. Brilliant. It might be different for for all of you, but at what point in a patient's journey will you get involved and how do you know when to get involved? Yeah, I think the Safeguard team can become involved in the patient's journey at any point in that care delivery process. Um, certainly we try to be proactive, so we've um, recently implemented a new visibility model where the Safeguard and advisors and nurses are more visible on the wards and departments just to try and offer Safeguard and advice support, targeted training and supervision and also to try and support staff if people are, you know, to recognise and respond to somebody if they've made a disclosure. And across the trust, well, we have a single point of contact for the safeguarding team. So everyone, it's one number and everyone knows that number. The services covers Monday to Friday, um, half eight or five. That obviously doesn't cover bank and public holidays. We have a cert- we have a duty system, so for both adults and children, and it covers adults, children and maternity. The duty person takes the call and provides adults, you know, advice and support to the caller. And again, this can range from sort of just providing general support or a 
to the sort of completeness of garden referral if they've never done one before or to Bukin a Child Protection Medical. It's also sometimes at that point as well when um, myself, Kerry or Tracy might become involved in that because if it's quite a complex case, you know, where staff are needing quite expert advice or support, then the duty person will then liaise with us, you know, and that, that tends to bring us into the, the equation as well. And is it different with an unborn child? It's very different because we're not, although we're looking at the unborn, it's the mother. So it's the risk that what mum's doing that poses onto the unborn. So for instance, if it's drugs, um, alcohol, might be risk-taking behaviour, which remember the unborn's got um, no rights while it's unborn. So what we, what we do is we try to protect that unborn through mum. But again, if mum makes decisions... Um, and she's got capacity to make those decisions, we can't stop her from doing that. We can only advise. I think the biggest thing to remember, um, or what we try to do is empower staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't become directly involved with the patients or, or the mums. Um, we support staff in order to manage safeguarding through all the mechanisms that we're describing, through supervision, through just having somebody on, on duty um, and being available for staff, really. So they feel supported. So on weekends or bank holidays, when we're not here, they feel equipped to be able to deal with that. We also become involved um, on a patient's journey when staff make safeguarding referrals. So some time ago, we introduced um, or updated Datix to enable staff to make safeguarding referrals via DATIC. So, so it was easier for staff, really. They go to one system, they choose whether it's a safeguarding children's referral or adult referral, and then they choose the local authority which they want to make the referral to on a drop-down box. So it's, it's fairly simplistic, really. It means they don't have to go onto different portals or different websites in order to make a safeguarding referral. The safeguarding team get a notification of each and every one of, of those safeguarding referrals. It means we can review them, we can go back to the staff member and give them some feedback on the outcome or the quality of that referral and make sure our staff have got a good understanding of thresholds. Um, each local authority have a different threshold document for children um, and staff should have knowledge of that. But sometimes staff need a little bit of guidance and that's absolutely fine. Um, so having sight of those referrals really helps us as a safeguarding team. It also enables us to monitor any themes or trends or like I say, support individuals. We've also got something called a safeguarding notification so that's an internal mechanism. It's not a safeguarding referral. It's just an, in, an internal mechanism for staff to inform us as a team if they've got um, a concern. And that's generally used in the acute sector, usually AD and the ward departments, if they've got a concern about children, about a child rather. It could be that an adult has attended, but there's concerns about the child at home. For example, a parent, a carer attends with um, a drug-related or substance use attendance, but there's concern about a child at home because of that attendance. A notification would be used for that purpose. They may also decide to make a safeguarding referral, so it doesn't replace a referral, but like I say, it's an internal mechanism. And that notification, again, is reviewed um, Monday to Friday, and we share that with health visitors and school nurses, if the child's a cared for child, um, we'd share it with the cared for team. If there's already a social worker, we'll share that with the social worker. So it's a really good tool for sharing information and really effective.
And as you work with children, are there any limitations regarding like consent as they're not over 18 um, or when you're safeguarding a child or? Yes, so it does get a little bit tricky after the age of, of uh, over the age of 18. Um, also, you have to think about working with parents. So if you are making a safeguarding referral, best practice is, is always to speak to that parent and have an open and honest conversation about the reason for referral. If you believe that child is at significant harm, you do not need consent to make a referral. However, if you feel a family needs some support, you need buy-in, you need consent from that family member, that parent, and therefore you do need consent. Safeguarding adults in terms of mm. consent, a little bit different, yeah. Tracy. Um, best practices, you should always speak to the person because um, safeguarding adults, we um, adopt making safeguarding personal, which is where safeguarding's not done to the person. It's, it's a process. The person's involved in the journey from the onset and we should be involving them to ask what outcome they want from the safeguarding referral. So we do, best practice is to get consent. However, there are situations where we can override if it's a criminal matter or if there's a wider public interest. But again, best practice with making safeguarding personnel is engage with that individual and get consent and ask what outcome they want from the safeguarding referral. So it, it, it is a little bit complicated and it's not clear cut. And I think my advice to for staff, if they're unsure, would be to always contact the safeguarding team or contact the local authority um, to seek further advice or refer to the threshold document for children, which gives them a bit of guidance about what level of need that child is at. Brilliant. And have you got any stats on how many cases the team deals with? Yes, yeah, so in the last financial year from the 1st of April 22 to the 31st of March 23, there was 1,200 children referrals submitted and 1,653 adult referrals submitted, which was a huge increase from previous year's reporting. And FGM data, obviously I was saying to you I record the FGM data, so just to show you how the significant increase in the rates um, in 2021 to 2022, there was 20 disclosures, and that's across Sunderland and South Tyneside. Then 2022 to 2023, there was 41 disclosures. So obviously you can see it's a 100% increase, in fact, slightly over 100% increase. And up to date so far, so from April um, 2023 up to, to date, we've had 35 disclosures. So we're heading for, you know, this is probably going to be the, the biggest amount that we've had. So when I was saying to you about how we monitor the themes and trends, it's, these are the things that we look at. And obviously I report these into the Department of Health. We also um, monitor the domestic abuse um, referrals into our service and because um, we have a DAHA service, so Domestic Abuse Health Advocate, and we've had um, 282 referrals into that service. That's across the trust, which is, I think, year on year, we've seen a significant increase and rise. So it's like I was just saying, we monitor those all the time. And will some of that be because of like COVID when there was uh, like we had, uh, had lockdowns and... It was maybe a bit harder for for some people to like leave the house at some points. We know that we do know that domestic abuse significantly increased um, through COVID because obviously you know people weren't going anywhere, they weren't allowed out, and if there was a particularly difficult time anyway, you know, or the, there was cracks we'll say in the relationship, those were significantly magnified, weren't there? And we know people's alcohol intake was much much mm. increased. So we did see a big rise in the numbers coming in, I think, but across everything, you know, it, it's, I think 
it's the whole trust, isn't it, where we've yeah, seen... and in adult safe gone, yeah. we were on the lookout for um, increased cases of self-neglect where people weren't coming to hospital because they were, you know, afraid because of COVID or because mm-hmm. of um, being sort of um, housebound and things like that. So that was something that we observed and self-neglect and neglect still remain the highest categories of uh, reported re- abuse within our trust. We also seen a number of um, really nasty cases coming through in terms of our e- children's ED um, linked with obviously COVID as well. And yeah, we had um, the cases of Arthur Libino Hughes and Star Hobson during the COVID period. You know, both children invisible services somewhat at times. And we're learning from those cases and that we're, we're going through national reviews and changes as we speak. So there's lots, the landscape has changed and significantly post-COVID from a safeguarding point of view. So you mentioned that you train staff there. So how does this, how do you go about that? So as discussed earlier, um, training is offered to staff in accordance with the role that they undertake and also it's mapped against the intercollegiate document. So this determines whether our staff need level one, two or three or four, if you're a name nurse, safeguarding training. And um, we also deliver additional training. For example, in July, we delivered a hot topic se- session, which was delivered by Tyne Weir Fire and Rescue Service. And that was in order to raise awareness of fire safety and also to promote a referral to TWFRS for a safe and well check for our patients, especially for those who've got reduced mobility who are smokers and also use emollients because that increases their fire risk really significantly. Like, do you train the staff to know when to contact team? Yeah, um, so we cover that in lots of different ways. We cover that in um, well, level three training. We cover that in um, our supervision that we deliver. We've also got um, safeguarding champions um, across the organisation um, for children and adults. Um, and we send them lots of information on a daily basis. Sometimes we send them updates, we send them training opportunities and the idea of the champions for them to cascade that information across their teams and be a, a source of information to support us as a safeguarding team, really. It's a big organisation. So their input and um, support is invaluable. And there is lots of different training opportunities um, because we um, work with Sunderland, South Tyneside, Gateshead and Durham Safeguarding. We are lucky in that we do get lots of different opportunities um, for staff to attend training. A lot of it is virtual now and we've also got the training from that our partnerships offer as well. So staff do have to do the levels one to three, usually as mandatory for their compliance but in addition to that, we do encourage them to do additional training for safeguarding. But the champions, going back to the champions, we meet with them four times a year. We give them an update and again ask them to disseminate that information. But we also want to hear from them what's happening in their areas and what can we do differently to improve our service that we offer across the organisation. We also have something called um, visibility as well. So Monday to Friday, we have a member of staff who um, is on the visibility, what we call the visibility rotor. So what they do is they go to all the wards and departments across the um we have one in Sunderland and one in South Tyneside and they go across the wards and departments and it's really to, to support staff, you know, with any safeguarding cases, to provide them with any advice, if there's any issues. Um, and when it, sometimes if, when it's really, really busy, the staff might be able to do some um, telephone calls on behalf of the, mem- the staff member or um, support them with a, a safeguarding referral. 
it's really good because it's in the moment safeguarding as well. So I think it's at that point where staff member might be really struggling where we can get that um, visibility person sitting with them, going through the case. And that's really good because in the moment training, that person will not forget that that training. We also do supervision as well. So um, as part of the visibility, they may do supervision. Supervision's mandatory for a lot of our staff. Safeguarding supervision, it's mandatory, especially for midwives. It, it helps the staff, you know, if, if they've got a problem, if they've got a concern, they can talk through that case. There's case management where they can see if they're making right decisions. You can have ad hoc supervision sessions, like what we've just been saying, where a staff, staff member might say, hey, can I just ask you something? And then we'll discuss that case. So it's all, all of those different scenarios come together to provide lots of training and support for our staff. Lots. Brilliant. And Kerry, you mentioned earlier that like you're learning from the back of COVID that you're learning from two case studies, that the, yeah. the, NH- the NHS in general is learning from two case studies about safeguarding. So have you got any examples of what a case may, may look like? Yeah, so there, there is lots of cases um, on a daily basis. I know and we, we try to give examples when we're asked this question of ones that will have a think family ethos so that we're going to share with you the one that we um, put in our annual report this year because it covers all of our services so kind of it, it also kind of shows how supervision works as well so we had a young woman attend sexual health clinic and she was requesting a termination of pregnancy during the consultation she stated that she'd recently moved into the area with her partner and her baby she'd requested a termination and said she wouldn't be able to cope with a new with a young child and a new baby the, the woman showed the practitioner photos of her baby and she confirmed that she'd registered with her GP. The practitioner checked the demographics and looked at the wider medical records of this woman and she identified that she was known to MSET, so that, correct me if I'm wrong, missing, sexually exploited and trafficked, okay. I always get that around the wrong way, and multi-agency exploitation team. And this was due to concerns around this young person being exploited and frequent um, males visiting our address. Then the same address was applied, was, um, was provided at that appointment. The practitioner who'd recently just had the safeguarding supervision contacted our safeguarding team to really discuss our concerns around what this young person was saying about the exploitation and potential trafficking. The practitioner was advised to, to liaise with the GP and the health visitor in regards to the woman and the baby because there was some concerns. On further discussion with the GP, the young woman who'd attended the clinic was noted to have read only registered 10 days prior. Um, she was accompanied by a male and an older woman who spoke for her, despite the fact that she'd spoke perfect English at um, the, the very beginning um, when she'd gone to the sexual health clinic. At this appointment, the older woman, she was um, sort of interpreting for her, she'd spoke for her. Um, and she provided a different address for this young girl as well. And there was no mention of a child at that registered GP practice. So when we got that information, the, the safeguarding team, sort of they were updated on the information and the agreed actions to this was to follow up on a home visit with the young person in order to sort of confirm our address, our details and explore any current concerns around um, exploitation and modern day slavery. That's just a, that's just a small one, you know. There's lots of cases, you know. Probably some of the cases that are not suitable to be discussed here, but mm. um, I think because you know we're we're almost on the ball, and because we're co-located, you know, sometimes mm. we can um, we can uh, one single name, and we all of us will go, I know that name, and then we'll be able to look back on our records, won't we, and discuss that case and 
actually know the problems and the issues from that from the get-go so that we can advise and support that staff member which I think is what's really really good about this team. Mm-hmm. It was Safeguarding Adults Week last week um, what is this? So Safeguarding Adults Learners Week is a time for organisations to come together to raise awareness of important safeguarding issues so each year our team support the local Safeguarding Adults Board and in Sunderland the Safeguarding Partnership as well and the Ancraft Trust to celebrate Safeguarding Adults Week. Um, this year, um, for this year's week, we devised a programme that was sent out to all champions and was also available on the intranet. And what the programme did was unite the three local authority safeguarding areas in order to um, give our staff the chance to um, look to see what their own individual learning is and then uh, adopt or, or sign up to a session that a specific local authority may be um, delivering. So they've got the choice from Gateshead, South Tyneside and Sunderland and also all of the Ancraft resources and some of the STSFT specific sessions that we're also putting on. What's the focus of uh, this year's safeguarding? So each year there's a different theme, but this year's focus was how you can prioritise the welfare and well-being of yourself and others. So there's a strong link between safeguarding and mental and physical well-being. And if someone's well-being is suffering, they may consider certain actions that put them at risk. So well-being includes mental and physical health, relationships, connection with your community and also contribution to society and being able to live free from abuse and neglect is key to um, good well-being. And how can someone look after their own well-being? Yeah, um, so safeguarding, as I'm sure you can imagine, can be highly challenging and very emotive for staff. And we must remember that um, staff may have personal experience of abuse as a child or indeed as an adult. And therefore, these cases can be extremely triggering. So um, my top tips um, for staff dealing with safeguarding is number one, um, keep yourself well informed with current safeguarding legislation, policy, procedure and indeed your training. Keep an open mind. Think the unthinkable and be professionally curious. Um, all of that comes out of many safeguarding mm-hmm. adult reviews and safeguarding child yeah. reviews. Slow your thinking down um, and don't be reactive. Gather your facts in a balanced sense, what is going well, what are you worried about, and what do you need to know? This is all under um, research, under signs of safety. Seek advice and support from your colleagues, your managers, and indeed your safeguarding team. Utilise your safeguarding supervision, then you can do some personal reflection and learning. Um, Attend group supervision. Group supervision can be great from learning from your peers. And all of that, I believe, will build um, emotional and personal resilience to safeguarding. You mentioned earlier in the episode uh, about a supervision policy and a mental capacity forum. Um, What is this and how does this help our patients? So Janice, um, Kerry and I work really closely with Stephen Down, our MCLPS lead, and Christine Johnson, our MCA Dolls advisor. And Stephen's just introduced a mental capacity forum. The aim of that forum is for staff to come together to discuss new mental capacity legislation, case law, service developments, to reflect upon anonymised cases involving mental capacity assessment in order to learn from each other. So again, it's another route for staff to get that reflection and that supervision. 
The safeguard and supervision policy has just been updated. Um, we update all of our policies and procedures on a regular basis. And most recently, we've updated our safeguard and supervision policy. Um, so if you're a practitioner working with children, um, particularly, um, please you know be aware that this policy has been updated. And yes, make sure you comply and contact the team if you um, require safeguard and supervision. And how can uh, a staff member contact the, the team? Yeah, so our um, spot number, which Janice has said, um, is 5410-555. We're available 8.30-5, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. We are based at South Tyneside, Sunderland, and um, here at Durham Road as well. So pop into the office or, you know, look look out for um, one of the um, staff members that attend in the department. We'd be welcome to to see any of you at any time. That brings us to the end of uh, this episode. So thank you very much, Tracy, Kerry and Janice, for joining me today and providing an insight of what you do. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Our People podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.